We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's get down to see. Do we have any questions here, Ryan? So let's let's, uh, let's get up to this one. Uh, we'll get to a recruiting question here from Jordan Schreiber, and this will be for you, Ryan. Any elite running backs in 2024 that Notre Dame has a shot at, a la Singletary Hayden? Why do the Irish keep compiling good, great running backs instead of going hard for elite running backs? Uh, I mean, so, some, so of the running backs that I have watched so far in 2024, I think the best kid that I've seen is probably Stacy Gage out of IMG Academy. Mm-hmm. He's a kid that, I mean, he's already, he's already like 5'11", 210 pounds as a sophomore at IMG Academy. So, I mean, he's certainly a very good player. Um, as far as where they are, I, I, I mean, the running back board, in my opinion, as far as 2024, it's very early. Like you can't really gauge too much as far as like where they are with certain players in, in that sense, unless it's a guy, you know, we've talked about Peter Jones, obviously the offensive tackle out of, out of Malvern that Notre Dame has put themselves in a very good situation with early. We talked a lot about Emmett Mosley, who's a double a, a double legacy player. Mm-hmm. His dad played f- at the University of Notre Dame, and his mom was also a, a very good soccer player, a record-setting soccer player for Notre Dame as well. And then Peyton Woodyard, obviously the safety out of out of um, out of St. John Bosco out there in Cali, is a player that has a connection being Kyle Hamilton's Kyle Hamilton's cousin. So I think there's some players that are obviously a little more on the forefront as far as you know their interest in Notre Dame. Julian Sands one. I think the I think the running backs right now. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of good players on the board. I don't know if I would say any of them are in you know Notre Dame's in amazing uh, position right now. But I would say the best kid that I've seen so far is Stacy Gage out of IMG Academy. There's Anthony Carey out of Florida, who I think is a really talented player. Brian Jackson's a really interesting player out of McKinney. Uh, Brian, I don't know if you've seen him, but he's a thick running back. And I remember when Br- Brian Smith actually interviewed. Peyton Bowen at one of the events he actually asked Peyton who was the hardest player to tackle that you went against and Mm -hmm. he I think he had mentioned a little bit like oh you know Cade Klubinek was a really good player he's like no but like the hardest player to tackle was this running back out of McKinney and Brian was kind of like oh who's um 
I don't know. Is he a 2023 kid? He's like, nah, I think he's a 2024 kid. So he was a sophomore at that point, Brian Jackson out of McKinney, um, Texas. So a couple of very talented players, but it's just a little bit early to kind of perceive if Notre Dame is a favorite for any in, in that type of sense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The last part. Why does Notre Dame keep compiling good, great running backs instead of going hard for elite running backs? Look, you mentioned Stacey Gage. Notre Dame made a hard run at Stacey Gage. He had almost no interest in Notre Dame, right? I mean, you can't recruit guys that aren't interested in you, number one. Number two, I don't think that's the one position I, I don't care about guys being elite in high school. I don't. I think that's a position where a lot of these elite running backs in high school, a lot of them don't pan out in college or maybe a higher number than people think because part of the reason they're so good in high school is they're just so much bigger than everybody else, right? <laughs> like Trent Richardson was that way. Trent Richardson was a successful back in high school because he was just bigger and faster than everybody else he played. He was good at Alabama, although I always thought he was overrated because he ran behind phenomenal lines. I never thought he was a guy that had very good vision. I never thought he was a guy that had like a very good feel for the game. He just was big and fast. Then he goes to the NFL and he's awful because of that right there. Because in the NFL, everybody's big and fast. And now it's about, do you are you in, do you have the IQ to play the game at a high level, the football IQ, and he didn't, you know? And then you look at a guy like Jonathan Taylor, and he does have that. So his success translates to the next level. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you've seen a lot of these big-time backs that just don't really pan out. And then you see all the time backs like Kyron Williams go out and put up all-American caliber seasons. If the line is good, you don't need – a five-star running back. Give me the best. If Notre Dame can every year promise me that the running back depth chart will be as good as the one they have now, you will never hear me say the running back is the room is the reason they don't win a championship. Never hear me say it. Ever hear me say it. It's just not necessary in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. so I don't really care about going hard after elite backs if they're not interested Give me the best backs you can get. And look, you say uh, going after elite backs, they went hard after Nicholas Singleton. They just lost. They just didn't get him. It wasn't about going hard. They just couldn't land him. And so I just think it's a situation where 
you know, I, I don't know why running backs don't have more interest in Notre Dame, especially with the, the way that Harry Heastan recruits. But for whatever reason, they just don't. But I don't care. I, I, mm-hmm. Running back recruiting the last couple of years and moving forward is the least of my concerns. You know, it's like you give me that Corey Smith kid that they offered from Wisconsin running behind the offensive line, oh. Harry Heastan and Chris Water going to put in the field. And I don't give a rip if he's ranked as a one star recruit. That you know, what I mean, that kid's gonna put up monster numbers. I, I forgot about that kid. I remember we were, I mean, we were messaging back and forth, me, you, and Sean. We all thought, I'm like, whoa, that was it. So, thing? Sean, Sean publishes his film and just is like, wow. And Ryan's like, his response was, this was Ryan's deep, thorough analysis that I pay him for. Wow. So, I had Jeez. to come correct as the owner of the site and the long term scout, and I came back with like. Holy crap! Was my my detailed response or something like that? It's like sometimes evaluation isn't needed. You're just like, wow, like you know. So go get me that kid, and I don't care what he's ranked by the people. You put that kid behind the offensive lines, and their name's gonna be put on the field. Running back is not gonna be your problem. No. Uh, it'd be nice to. I mean, I, and it, it, that's not to say don't recruit recruit elite players. If an elite player is interested in your program, and you think you have a shot to land him, if you put the full court press on him put the full court press on them. Yeah. It's just, I care more about fit and upside and, and potential and, and all those type of things than I do about a, and the other thing too, is you get a five-star running back and let's say your offense needs to be a little bit more balanced and you need to throw the ball a little bit more. Then you got to deal with him coming into your office, mad that he's not getting enough touches. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, that's one of the, uh, the other issues with, uh, I also think re- uh, regionally speaking, right? Usually the great running backs are coming from southern school, southern states, right? Like they're the Florida kids or the Texas kids. So, I mean, regionally there's just, I mean, it's going to be tougher getting a kid, maybe a great five-star running back out of right. Florida to leave an SEC program. I mean, cuz there aren't a lot of them. That's the other thing is like there's there's not like 20 five-star running backs every year. I mean, you know, there just isn't. And I'm actually going to go I'm going to go look at this now, Ryan, and and look at that running back recruiting. And right now on the 247 composite ranking for the 2023 class, there's two. The, the, the number three running back in the class, matter of fact, if you go look at the 247 composite rankings, there's only four running backs that rank in the top 100. That's crazy. Right, which backs up what you and I have been saying for a while is this is just not a great, it's not a great, running back class if you look at last year 2022 it's better there was uh let me go to running backs here real quick because walter nolan was not a running back there was only one five-star running back last year and i thought last year was a good running back year and there was a total of eight top 100 back there's only eight top 100 running backs last year in what was a good running back class 2021 if you go look at the running backs in 2021 there was three five stars, and but only a total of seven total top hundred guys, right? And and you talk about making a run. Notre Dame made a run at one of those five star running backs, Will Shipley. He's the number two running back in that class. Notre Dame made a very hard run at him. Notre Dame Notre Dame made a very hard running back of the number four uh, running back in that class, Donovan Edwards. I thought Notre Dame should have made a, high, a better run at Trayvon Henderson. What a lot of people don't know is Trayvon Henderson was a four student who liked Notre Dame. Notre Dame just made the choice not to go after him because they wanted Will Shipley. That's the recruiting mistake that I think they made. I have no problem with them going hard after Will Shipley. I, I don't think they should have gone after him and not had other options because Clemson was always considered like a, a tough school to beat for him. Even when Notre Dame seemed to be the leader, 
but I never understood why they didn't go harder after Travion Henderson because as much as I love Will Shipley, Ryan, and you know I'm a I'm 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 very high on Will Shipley as a college running back. Mm-hmm. Travion Henderson was clearly a better player in my opinion, like yeah, clearly uh, a better high I, school I, player. I watched their uh, the all twenty two of their game against Purdue. Oh my, Travion Henderson's good. Oh my, <laughs> <laughs> he hit, Brian, he hit one gap where I mean, in in most people. These guys had an angle on him from both sides of him. And I'm like, okay, he's going to get touched. He didn't get yeah. touched for like a 50. I'm like, whoa, man, that's a little bit of a different gear, right? There. That's a little yeah. bit different. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it uh, he, he's pretty good. So anyway, Jordan, to your, to your question, Notre Dame has gone after talented backs. They have gone after some elite backs. But at the same time, you also have to be smart as a coaching staff and not waste your time on guys that you just flat out know you're not going to get. That's not the same as saying, you know, well, we can't get a five-star player. We can't get this guy, so you don't even try. It's you put forth effort, and then after a while, you realize we're just pounding our head against the wall. This kid is not – he doesn't call us back. He doesn't really show – I mean, that's different than the kid likes us, but we got to put in the effort. That's a, a little bit of a different story. 2020, same story, ran only three five-star running backs. Uh, no, there was uh, – let's see here. There was 10 top 100 running backs that year, and Notre Dame got one of them, Chris Tyree. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I don't think running back recruiting has, has been an issue. It just That's just my my two cents. Here's one for you, Ryan. Since you have a front-page story today uh, about Julian Sand, who's a 2024 quarterback from Carlsbad, California, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, how much does if, – if Dante commits uh, – if Dante Moore commits in their name, how much does that affect Julian Sand's recruitment? What are your and, thoughts on that? Yeah, somebody asked me also this in, in the message board. I, I don't think it does, to be honest. I mean, mo- most kids, I think it would. But just talking ju- to Julian several times now, I don't think he's afraid of competition at all. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I, I think that he's comfortable with what he is. And I think that he – just everything that that he's kind of talked to me, his, his biggest thing is that he wants to be in a great place. And he wants mm-hmm. to be around great people. He has a great relationship with Tommy Reese. Every time I talk to him, he just praises Tommy Reese. So I, I don't think that if Dante Moore commits to Notre Dame, I don't think it's going to be a big repercussion on whether they can land Julian Sane or not. Because the three schools he mentioned to you were Notre Dame, Georgia, and Texas. Right. Those schools are all going to get big-time quarterbacks every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Texas has just got Ewers there in the hunt for Arch Manning. You know, Georgia was in the hunt for Arch Manning. I don't think they're – I don't know where they stand now. I haven't completely followed that recruitment as much as maybe some others. But look, when you're – this is the thing that people have to understand. If you're – if you're if you're going to go to a program like a Bama, a Notre Dame, hopefully, a Georgia, a Texas now with Sarkeesian there as a quarterback, Ohio State, yeah, you, you know that they're going to recruit a really good player in front of you and they're going to recruit a really good player after you. You know that. So if you don't want to compete with great players, then kids aren't going to look at those programs. They're going to go to UCLA. They're going to go to Texas Tech. They're going to go to Oklahoma State. They're just not going to go to those programs. They're going to go to Michigan. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I couldn't help myself. Um, you know, so that's the thing is, Ryan, like you said, is is he's not going to look at those programs because he knows even if Notre Dame didn't get Dante Moore, he knows for a fact that Notre Dame's going to go try and recruit a five-star like, you know, Bryce Underwood in 2025, right? So what I'm curious about more, Ryan, is if Notre Dame lands Dante Moore, how does that impact their view of Julian Sand? 
that's the more interesting one for me. Like, do they just say, you know what, if he wants to come, we'll take him? Or yeah. because I don't believe he's the number one quarterback on their board. I think CJ Carr is. And I know they like Jaden Davis a lot. And so, uh, well, I don't know if CJ Carr is the number one, but like, he's in that group of guys that, that is like, you know, yeah. this group of A, a players. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know if Julian's the top guy on that board. And so if quarterback's one of those positions where you will prioritize the board a little bit, usually. Now, sometimes there's just like these guys are all stars. So we'll take whichever one wants to come. But in this instance, I, I, I'm curious how that's going to be. Because if you get Dante Moore, then you can just say, look, if Julian Sane wants to come, he's a pretty good football player. Let's take him. Let's not yeah. overthink this. You know what I mean? Well, so. if, they, if, if they really like CJ Carr, especially if like that is their top guy, and I think they probably have a, it seems like they have a couple guys up top that they really like overall. If CJ Carr is your top guy, getting a five star from the previous cycle from the same state, that's, that's kind of a weird dynamic, isn't it? Like, I, I don't know if that, that would be a, deterrence from the interest in Notre Dame with CJ personally. I'm not sure about that, but I, I, I just, again, I, I don't think that it's going to affect Julian's perspective on the situation. And I, I think Notre Dame would be maybe comfortable with that situation because I think Julian saying gives you a great baseline. We can talk a lot about like, is he a little overhyped as far as his recruiting ranking, but certainly a good player. Certainly. Yeah. Let's get to some more questions here. Here's one that you starred. So I'll let you answer this one from Jeff Fluke is a hot dog, a sandwich. So answer the question, Ryan, then define what is a sandwich. Mm -hmm. um, A sandwich is I'm going to, I'm going to define the sandwich first. Then I'll give my answer a sandwich because I think it will kind of answer the question. Mm -hmm. A sandwich is two pieces of bread that have something in the middle that they sandwich together. So in that sense, yes, I I believe hot dog is a sandwich actually by definition. I never really put a lot of thought into it, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, sandwich, right? Like that's, you know, yep. I mean, it makes sense. Right. And does, and I like that you said it doesn't have, it's not, you said to, it's something that is between because it doesn't have to be meat. Some people will say something with meat in between, but um, it doesn't have to be mean. a BLT is a sandwich. is a sandwich. Right. Exactly. Peanut butter and jelly is a sandwich. So yes, I agree. I think a hot dog is a sandwich. I didn't even realize that was a, a thing. That's a big debate. It's a big Seriously. Debate. That's the hard hitting news that we need to talk about in this country. What's the opposite? What's the argument against it being a sandwich? I guess that it's not one. It's only one piece of bread technically. And I don't know. I I, I take it. Well, everything, every sandwich is on something that was once one piece of bread. I agree. I agree. And that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like a, a, a roll. It's, it's not baked as a bottom and a top. It's not created as a bottom and a top. It's created as one bun and they cut it in half. So if I just tear the top, the, 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 the hot dog thing in half, how's that any different? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. People actually make that argument. Yeah. Oh no, they do. And I, wow. my, and my rebuttal would be the same thing you just said. So if a hot dog bun is split in half, then is it a sandwich? Right. So like Ryan, you know, one of the, my little weird obsessions that I love baking bread. I make a lot of bread at my house. Right. We had some fun with that. You know, Sean had to get me back when I was making fun, his mojitos. He had to get me back with the fact that I bake bread at home, but I cut it up and make sandwiches out of it, but it always starts as one piece of bread. 
right? Like that just that's the dumbest thing. I can't believe people actually argue against it. Like, I mean, you could make you could make arguments like, okay, the shape and you know how you weed it, I guess would be things that I think you could maybe somewhat say that I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but the fact that it's one piece of bread compared to two, that's just a, that's a bad I, I mean, I, I just can't think of any other reason that it would be a big pushback, right? Because, I mean, if you took a if you took a hot dog and then you put it on two pieces of regular white bread, is that a different dynamic? Right. So, like, that, you mean like how hot dogs were when I was growing up? Yeah, we have. <laughs> right. As a kid, I had more hot dogs on bread than I had on hot dog buns, <laughs> especially at grandma's house. You know, she'd always buy hot dogs and then realize, oh, I don't have hot dog buns or, you know, because hot, which is the dumbest thing ever. Hot dog buns come in a different size than packages of hot dogs. Which I've never understood that. So you'd always get to that point in time where you had more meat than you had bread and whatever. I, I love so. this. I love this chat right now. It's so yeah. Fantastic. Is, is there people? Is are cereal, there? It's cereal or soup. <laughs> what? It's someone asked, is cereal or soup? No. <laughs> What? Okay. Does this does something have to be hot or cooked? I should say cooked because it doesn't have to be hot. But does something have to be cooked to be a soup? No. no. Okay. All right. Let's get back to some football before we go too far off the rails. Uh, Zachary Lane, are we hoping LSU loses every game this year? I don't yes. say I'm hoping, but I wouldn't. Yes. I wouldn't be upset about it. The an- the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. I'm not that spiteful. But I wouldn't say I'm against it. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't say I'm rooting for it. I guess partly I'm not rooting for it because it's not going to happen. They're not going to lose every game. They're, you know, there's, yeah. They play in FCS school, so they'll win at least one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Could you imagine they go one in 11? They only win is against an FCS team. That would actually be kind of phenomenal. I would love that, actually, now that you say that. I'm actually going to look up what LSU's schedule is this year. I know that they play Florida State in the opener, which is going to be really fascinating. Mike Mike Norvell could get his career jump-started in a game if he can pull off that W. They play Florida State, then they play Southern, then Mississippi State. So there's one win, Southern. They play New Mexico at home. That's another win. At Auburn, home against Tennessee, at Florida, home against Ole Miss, home against Alabama, at Arkansas, home against UAB. I'm not chalking that up as a definite win. If they're that bad where they're losing most of those games, UAB is good enough to beat them at that point in time. Now, UAB has turned into a really quality, overlooked program. Didn't they win 10 games last year? I think they did. I think so, yeah. They went 9-4 and last year. Beat BYU in a bowl game, lost to Texas San Antonio by three, lost to Rice by six. They lost to Rice, lost to Liberty in Georgia, went nine and four. The year before, they went six and three. The year before that, in 2019, they went nine and five. They've turned into a really quality, 11 and three in 2018. They've turned into a really quality program. Mm-hmm. They really have. They, they have a freak that's coming out in the draft this year. Alex Wright, he might be a top 100 kid at defensive end. He's like 6'6", 270 with vines for arms. So no, oh, yeah. some dudes. I dig it. I dig it. Bailey Brad, why does Notre Dame play so many ACC teams? So uh, Bailey Brad, the reason for that is, is Notre Dame has a relationship with the ACC. They signed a contract. I believe they signed it in 2013. Uh, I believe is when they signed it, but uh, I, I could be wrong on that. But essentially, Notre Dame plays a minimum of, I believe, four ACC teams a year, so, and usually it's five. 
and it's part of Notre Dame joining the ACC for other sports. So Notre Dame is in the ACC for every sport that basically the ACC has teams. So like they're not in there for hockey because there is no ACC hockey, I don't believe. Uh, they're in it for women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, softball, soccer. I mean, just about every sport that, that again, that the ACC has, has, uh, has, has teams except for football. Well, part of the deal to get them to go to the ACC for all those other sports is Notre Dame also signed an agreement uh, with them to basically make it to where they play a minimum of football games. And it's a rotating schedule. And I think, I think it goes to like 2035. I think is what it is. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pull something. We were, my wife and I were looking at this the other day. I have to find it. I can't remember where I put it, but we were, we were looking at this and it's like to like 2035 is when this goes to. So that is why Notre Dame plays so many ACC teams because they have a, a partnership, a relationship with the ACC. Michael Gardner said, Ryan, by the time Tennessee state, uh, by that time, Tennessee state might even be the best team in Tennessee. I, look, y'all, I, look, Tennessee was the necessary butt of jokes and understandable butt of jokes for a while. Their record last year may not impress you. They went seven and six. But down the stretch, Tennessee was playing good football on offense. And right. and Josh Heupel is recruiting well. And the boosters at Tennessee are throwing some money around. Uh, they're going to be a better program. There's no question about it. They just got a five-star quarterback who – I've said I'm not super high on, but Josh Heupel took that team, Ryan, from 21 and a half points per game in 2020. Cause this was his first year at Tennessee, correct? I believe so, yeah. They scored 21 and a half points per game in 2020. And they averaged, what was it, 346 yards per game of offense. They averaged 365 in 2019. They only scored 24 points a game in 2019. Last year with Hendon Hooker quarterback, right? who couldn't keep the starting job of Virginia Tech. And at the beginning of the year with Joe Milton, who is terrible. Awful. But he really got the most out of Hendon Hooker. And they scored 39.3 points per game last year. They went from 21 points per game to 339 points per game. They went from 346 yards per game to 474 yards per game. They went from 5.3 yards per play to 6.5 yards per play in one year. It's a nice jump. One year. And not great talent. In the second half of the year, I mean, their receiving core was incredibly depleted down the stretch. I mean, they had some guys getting hurt early in the year that were really good football players for them. And, you know, that's that's kind of part of it too, Ryan. Is so so it, the 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 time of Tennessee being the laughing stock, which they were for a while and it was glorious, uh is 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 going to come to, not even slowly is going to quickly come to an end in my opinion and what are your what are your thoughts on that no i agree i agree I, I don't think tennessee was nearly as bad as people act like they were they have some guys even defensively in this year's draft that i mean alante taylor was a really good cornerback there uh defensive tackle matthew butler they have some dudes they had the, the um actually no i think crouch transferred the linebacker that's at Miss, uh, michigan state now but they have some players and like you said Hendon Hooker was a talented but very inconsistent player at Virginia Tech, obviously. And part of that was due to the coaching staff at Virginia Tech. Like, let's just call it what it is for to a degree. But he went to Tennessee and he looked like a completely different football player, like absolutely completely different. And I mean, you know, we've talked about Nico and where we kind of see him more realistically. But I mean, I think that he's going to fall into a pretty good situation with with uh, with the new coach that he can obviously coach football and he can obviously 
he obviously, you know, right. <laughs> Nico, the 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 thing with Hendon Hooker and and Justin Fuente was weird, because I always thought when Hendon played, he was their better quarterback. Like for two years in a row, when he played, that's when Virginia Tech was at its best. But for whatever reason, Fuente would not play him, and if he had another option, it was bizarre. It's one of the many reasons Justin Fuente sucked and got fired. But that that offense was atrocious, man. Yeah. I, I I hate I hate scouting that offense. It is awful because it's just for whatever reason they also had a decent wide receiver too, Brian and, and Trey mm-hmm. Turner, which like for whatever reason and they had a decent tight end too, even though he got hurt early in the season. And James Mitchell, for whatever reason, they're just like we're not going to open up this offense at all. We are going to be this ground and pound. Just we're going to play ball control. And I'm just like I think you have some athletes, man. Like I don't think mm-hmm. that you have nothing at wide receiver. I don't think you have nothing at tight end. And for whatever reason, and the year before I got it more because you had Khalil Herbert who had a great season and Khalil Herbert was a really good running back. I got it more, but this year, I mean, I guess it's because they have Braxton Burmeister who was just more of an athlete playing quarterback and maybe, maybe a little bit limiting, but for whatever reason, I just always thought that Virginia tech was just for some reason was afraid to open up that offense. And I don't know why it is, but that was just, I mean, they were rotate. I mean, Quincy Patterson was a guy that they played more over over Hendon Hooker at a point there. Quincy Patterson went to North Dakota State and he got benched at North Dakota State. Right, like, just not. Yeah, it it was a very weird dynamic under Fuente. Very. Weird. It was it just in. It, I mean, it was very. It was so obvious. It was so obvious that he was their best quarterback, or I don't say their best quarterback. I'm not more so. More importantly. He was the quarter when he was in the game that their offense just moved better. And it was like night and day. It was still an ugly offense schematically, but he would make it work to a degree. And he just would never play him. I don't know what it was. It was the, it was bizarre. It was really, really bizarre. It's, it's good for it's good for Hendon Hooker though, because I'll say this, Brian. He flirted with coming out this year, even though he had the extra year. I I guarantee next year Hendon Hooker is going to go a lot earlier in the draft than people anticipate. Just putting that out. To my next year. Yeah, next year's class. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I mean, he put up with a lot of crap there, and and then he goes to Tennessee and doesn't start early at Tennessee. They started Joe Milton early in the year. I know, and he's oh, awful. Man. What was that? Was that the first game of the season or the second game where Joe Milton was just airmailing every deep ball? Who was, was so they were bad. wide open. It was just awful. It was awful so bad. Ball. I think it was the pit game, or no, oh. it was the Bowling Green game. I forget. Man. It I mean, might it have been just, the pit game. Guys were running because there was some talent at wide receiver. They have the one yeah. kid that's coming Venus back. Jones. Taylor Jones is yeah. in the draft and he's a good player. Right. I mean, they had some guys running wide open, and Joe Milton was just airmailing everything. I'm just like, what is yep. happening? They had they had another receiver this year that Notre Dame really tried to get. Um, did he get hurt? No, was he a guy from last year? I'm trying to. Where is he at? Did he play DB? Who's Tennessee that? receiving? Uh, maybe he played DB. I thought he was a receiver. Where's he at? Alante Taylor. I guess he played yeah. DB. I know Notre Dame was trying to get him to play, I believe, to play receiver. Yeah. But yeah, Cedric Tillman had a thousand yard year. Javante mm-hmm. Payton's a good player. I mean, averaged 23 yards per catch. Uh, their tight ends were serviceable, you know, combined for over 30 catches. But the, the point is, is like, yeah, they had some good receivers, but they didn't have great receivers. And, and Hendon was still able to go out there. He threw 31 touchdowns and three picks last year. Crazy. I mean, you know, I mean, he threw for almost 3,000 yards and, and I don't think took over. He, he kind of replaced he replaced Joe Milton during the pit game. That was the game he took over. And uh, he had some really, really good moments. The Purdue game was one of the more entertaining bowl games of the year. 
Like that was a really entertaining bowl game and it was. it was a lot of fun. Alberto, it's nothing to say. Love catching you live. Thank you for that, Alberto. Garen Nutson, just because. Thank you so much for that, my man. We're obviously doing. He's still excited because of the the you know the, what he had on the grill yesterday. So he had the day off. So he's he's loving it, loving life. We're obviously doing something great for others to seek us out for the purpose of mischief. People throw rocks at things that shine. Uh, hashtag Smith. <laughs> I didn't know that was Taylor Swift. All right, Jason Krapek. Can we talk about changing schedules so that we don't play in Cali at the end of the year? Come in November, you Cali cowards. Ha ha. Uh, come here in November. First of all, I would absolutely love to see USC be the last game of the year every year. That'd be awesome. I would much rather see that. And like, I love, I love the the rivalry with USC, but I'm I'm almost at the point now where if Lincoln Riley's not the answer, then I'm going to tell USC we need to reschedule this, and we're gonna. This is either going to be the last game of the year every year, or it's going to be the middle of the season every year. Pick one. Because I don't, I don't see the value in ending it. Because the way that recruiting works now, like it used to be, it it made a lot of sense. Because so much of recruiting, even when Brian Kelly first got hired in Notre Dame, the first half of his tenure, Ryan, the big, the biggest push in recruiting was still the close in February. That's what make or break your recruiting class. And a lot of the California kids were still open, so you go right on the road recruiting. It made a lot of sense. That's done. That's not a thing anymore, really. I mean, your class is pretty much done, and there's no reason you can't get on a plane and fly to California after playing in Georgia or at home. You know what I mean? So I don't think there's the value to that anymore. I don't think playing USC at on the road in mid-October takes away any of the shine of that game if it's a big game. So I'm going to tell USC, pick one. We're either playing every week in the middle of October or every year in the middle of October or playing every year, every year, every game at the end of the year. We're not going to let you get the benefits of this all the time because the benefit we had of playing late in the year is gone. So this doesn't do a thing for us anymore. And if USC balks, if Lincoln Riley can't get USC turned around and USC is still bad, I'm at the point now where I would consider if USC is not willing to work with Notre Dame to say, okay. I know a lot of people won't like that. Hmm. A lot of people won't like that. But I'm I'm just kind of tired of of you USA to be honest with you. Um, as far as the the schedule aspect of it, Jason also says uh, Freeman seems intent on running the heck out of the ball. What kind of balance do you see our offense having run versus pass? I, I think they're going to be very balanced. I I think people are making way more out of what Marcus Freeman said in his press conference about running the football than needs to be there. Notre Dame is going to be a very is going to seek to be a very good running team. But Notre Dame is also going to seek to be a very efficient and explosive explosive pass team. If you knew what Notre Dame – Notre Dame has, the, my opinion, the best tight end in the country. If not the best, he's one of the top two or three, mm-hmm. right? And the coaching staff, Notre Dame, loves Lorenzo Styles, and, and they're, they like what Braden Lindsay can bring to the table. And obviously the backs can bring value. This is not going to look like the 2017 offense. It's not. It's not going to look like the 2012 offense. They're gonna throw the ball more than both of those offenses. So I don't I don't think this look the notion that they're just gonna run the ball and Tyler Buckner's gonna go throw 15, 17 times a game. That's not what this team's gonna be about, unless he's going 14 of 17 for like 285 yards, right? Because they're just hitting bombs. I mean, I, I 
I think this is going to be a lot more balanced than what people think. They're not going to go from what they were at the end of last year, Ryan, to looking like the 2017 offense again. And that's what I keep hearing people talk about. Like, oh, they're going to run the heck out of the ball because of what Marcus Freeman said in on April 2nd. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I just – I think that's more about trying to establish an attitude. But once you get, get into the fall and it's about building around your entire arsenal, I understand why they're focusing on running the ball now. They don't have any receivers or tight ends on the roster right now. But once the, they get the whole arsenal, Ryan, you're going to see a, a balanced offense in the fall. Yes, they're going to be a really good running team. That's their goal. But that doesn't mean you can't throw the ball. And I think that's the the mistake I think a lot of people make. Yeah, no, I, I think balance is something that you need to strive for. Um, I mean, because there's going to be games where it's not going to be working as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be games where you're struggling a little bit. I mean, against Georgia last year, it's, it was hard for anybody to run the football. So you have to have those instances where, you know, you can kind of lean on the other parts of your game. So, and I think, I think especially, <clears throat> excuse me, with, with Tyler Buckner coming in, especially you want to see a lot of growth in the passing offense this year, because if Tyler Buckner can show that balance as a run pass threat, I think that just opens up everything offensively. There's so many more possibilities in that sense. All right, let's get to some more questions. Uh, Matt S is Notre Dame offered 2024 receiver from Illinois, Cam Williams. Don't believe so, right? No. So he's he's visiting um, this week, this weekend, I should say. Wasn't he also on campus this past weekend too? Oh, I'm mixing him up. Yes, I'm sorry. He was on campus this past weekend. He does not have a offer to date. He left the weekend. He did not get the offer, but they are keeping close eyes on him. And he's a highly recruited kid, and he's a kid that is well regarded. I think he's a top fifty, uh, top one fifty, excuse me, recruit on a couple different services. So they're certainly keeping their eyes on Cam Williams for sure. Charlie Moore says, no more hot dog talk. Time is precious. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Charlie. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Matthew Jackson says, is there going to be a special show for April 9th, or are y'all wait going to wait for Intel before doing a show regarding Braylon James? So Braylon James is no longer making a public commitment on April 9th. That has been moved back 24-7. Uh, was interested in moving it back. Braylon also was interested in moving it back. Uh, for some personal reasons that that I don't think he wants out there right now, but it has nothing to do with his choice. Nothing. It had nothing to do with him having second thoughts. It's literally just a scheduling uh, decision, is it? Okay, so whenever that decision is made, and it's going to be, I believe it was reported, it'll be the 19th or the 20th. Whenever that is, we will carry that show right live and we will talk immediately afterwards about his decision and what it means for Notre Dame one way or the other and that's all we're going to say uh but we have all the intel we need and if you were on the if if you're on the Irish breakdown message board we haven't said where he's going but i i think it's i think it's yeah i think you know uh Tommy Guns what is the one position group that's outplayed expectations so far and what's one that's underwhelmed so far this spring right uh, Tommy, this is a very fair question, but it's not one that I think we can answer. Yeah. We've had Notre Dame's, I think, gone through nine practices now. There's been one open practice where we could see the whole practice, and then only two other practices where we could see like individual and K- yeah. PAT field goal and some some light team stuff. It's just it's because look, anyone that's been a, a part of a practice, Ryan, whether it's high school, Division three, Division one, AA. FBS, you're going to go through a 15 period stretch where the best parts of your team are going to have crap days. 
And if that happens the day that the media is there, it's like, oh my gosh, this part of the position group is going to stink this year because we saw them that one day when they're bad. That's not indicative necessarily. It could be, but it's not indicative of what we've seen every other day, right? And so it'd be really unfair for us to, to tell you that based on the little that any of us have seen. And, and I would I would encourage anyone covering the team to not make sweeping conclusions about what they've seen. Now, we will make conclusions, well, not conclusions, but like, for example, we had an Intel piece at our breakdown last night about the team. There's one particular part of the team that's doing really well and has been all spring. Uh, there, And that's the offensive line. I'm not going to tease you all like that. But if you'd have been on the board, you'd have read that last night. We had some quarterback Intel. Um, it's an Intel on some D linemen, linebacker, uh, Brandon Joseph that's there. But, you know, the offensive line's really, really playing well. And as good as Blake Fisher has been, our Intel thing talked about the fact that he hasn't been their best offensive lineman in some people's opinion, uh, which says a lot. So, but that's based on what other people are reporting. Now we've seen that in practice, but so I think, it, you know, I don't know, but I don't, I wouldn't call that outplaying expectations. I think Ryan, that's kind of what we expected to happen, but yeah. I just, I think it'd be, it'd be unfair for us to say anything beyond here's what we're hearing. Yeah. And that's why in the Intel piece last night, I was very clear. This is what we're being told. This is in our opinion, right? Because yeah. we haven't seen enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you what I saw in that one practice I was at, but I'm not going to make an overarching, you know, talk about what the what the entire group has done during the spring because that was one practice out of, like you said, nine so far. So that was a small fraction of what we've seen. But don't worry, Tommy. We'll have more in-depth uh, opinion, hopefully, in the future. At least we'll have some intel as far as, you know, people a little closer to the situation as far as how things have shaken out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, Kendrick Heath, do you guys like Notre Dame's schedule the way it was prior to the ACC deal or the way it is with the ACC deal? I would say my answer would be neither. I think they've they they have not had a happy medium in recent years. I think that the schedule was a little bit too poorly constructed before the ACC deal, meaning it was silly to have like four Big 10 games in the first 5 weeks of the season. That was silly. Uh, that was, you know, it's not that, I, again, I don't have a problem with playing five, six really good football teams. I have a problem with you starting your season with four of them. <laughs> that's that's where you're not giving your team the best chance to kind of get going because those teams aren't playing those. They're, they're going to have lead-up games to their game with you, you know. Uh, so, I and I would like the schedules to be tougher than what they've been in recent years. But part of that's been because things that you can't control. I mean, if you'd have gone back and looked at the, if you'd have gone back and looked, you know, six, seven years ago, 
at Notre Dame's 2021 football schedule, you'd you'd have had a different of opinion of what that was going to look like in the the challenge of it. You're like, you guys are opening on the road at Florida State. Do you guys like not want to compete for? Are you just trying to end your season in the opener, right? Like that's what people would have said, right? I mean, you'd have said, man, you're playing at Florida State. You're playing Wisconsin. You're playing at Virginia Tech and at Stanford. And then you got to play UC at home. Ten years ago, this would have been looked like a juggernaut schedule. Like you guys have no chance of going nine and three that year, right? Stanford was a top five team. You look at uh, Virginia Tech was a, a really good team. USC was a really good team. Florida State was, I mean, nine years ago was a national champion, right? And one of the more dominant teams we've seen in a, in, in decades. So you know, it's just it's cyclical, right? And I don't think that's Notre Dame's fault entirely. But I, I do think that I would like to see more of a mix of maybe some better opponents, in my opinion, which we're starting to see, right? And I think moving forward, we're starting to get more of that mix. You're still going to have USC and Stanford. You're going to have the ACC schedule, but you've got Texas A&M coming on the schedule. You've got Bama coming on the schedule. Florida's going to come on the schedule. Uh, so I, I think that's, I think that's going to get more into the sweet spot. But between these two, Ryan, which one, which one do you prefer? Right now, it's before the alignment with the ACC. But I, I, like I said before, my whole my whole pushback against it is the fact that the ACC has just been an inconsistent conference since that alignment has kind of happened. If they became a more consistent conference, I'd be completely okay with it. But me, right now, I would say before. But my, that opinion can change depending on how the conference evolves over the next few years. Dave Grouse says, "Would par- a partnership with the Big East make sense since they have a lot of Catholic teams and we would get a lot of exposure to their fan bases, especially since they don't have D1 football?" The last part of what you just said is exactly why the, the being in the Big East would have very little value to Notre Dame because it's about money. I mean, you're not going to get nearly the payout from being in the Big East that you are going to get from being in the ACC, as far as the other sports. And number two, I don't, I don't think Notre Dame needs exposure in the areas where the current Big East teams are. And I think the Catholic aspect of it is is interesting, and I think there's some value there, but it's not like a needle-moving type of thing. I think being in the ACC for other sports is clearly more impactful for Notre Dame in other sports than it is for uh, than being in the Big East, you know, because mm-hmm. the Northeast is not an area where Notre Dame necessarily needs a lot of help or exposure. You're already a pretty popular program there. The ACC gives you exposure in the Mid-Atlantic in areas where maybe you aren't necessarily. Uh, because it's kind of counterintuitive. The fact that there are a lot of Catholic schools and Catholic leagues and it's a much more prominent Catholic area means there's already an, uh, ex- people already know who you are and you already have that exposure. That's not necessarily true. Anyone that's lived in the South knows there aren't nearly as many Catholic schools and Catholics in the, the mid Atlantic as there is in the Northeast. Um, and so I just don't, I think it's getting exposure in places that aren't overly normally exposed to you is more advantageous than more exposure in areas that you already get a lot of exposure. Thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, there's just, there's no big real selling point to the football aspect of it. Right. And football is the moneymaker. So at the end of the day, if it doesn't make sense for the football side of things, it doesn't really make sense in my opinion. So if it were comparing big East Alliance with an ACC Alliance, it's ACC by a landslide, right? Like they, you need that, you need that power part of the, football conversation for it to be a good sell for the whole program it does it's it's it has to be productive and it has to be rewarding to each side of the coin it can't just be the other sports but it doesn't help the Notre Dame football team it has to help everyone in my opinion all right 
Let's see here. Uh, Chase Talks Sports. Is there any chance that Notre Dame can go toe-to-toe with the Big Ten in recruiting in Ohio? Ohio normally has some good recruits every year. They are now. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they can, and they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have one of the best players in Ohio is currently committed to Notre Dame, and that's Brennan Vernon. Sure. They're trying to dip back in for an, for an offensive lineman that, that is um, uh, Ohio State once. That's Austin Saraveld. So, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame Notre Dame should be able to have more success in Ohio. They've had it in the past when they've tried to be there. Harry Heastan had a lot of success in the state of Ohio, beat Ohio State for Tommy Kramer and Jimmy Byrne and, of course, Liam Eikenberg. They got Kyle Rudolph out of the state of Ohio, Sean Crawford. So Notre Dame has had success there. They just kind of took themselves out for a while, to be honest with you. And now they're starting to go back in there because you look, you don't have Marcus Room as your head coach and now Washington coach in your D line. If you're not going to get back in the state of Ohio, Ryan, you just, it's just silly. Yeah. I I mean, I mean, I think, I think the whole, the whole question was toe to toe. Yes. The answer is yes. They can go toe to toe because they are going toe to toe dominating. Obviously you're never going to dominate Ohio, but yeah, you should be able to go into Ohio and compete with Ohio state. And I think that they are. So, yeah. All right, Matthew Jackson, number one of two, uh, with Texas and OU going to the SEC in a couple of years. Do you all see the NCAA potentially dissolving the Big 12 into the power, other Power 5 conferences? I think if Notre Dame is going to join a conference, it should be uh, after that takes place if it happens. Number one, I don't think the NCAA has the power to dissolve the Big 12. The Big 12 either chooses to dissolve or it doesn't. I don't think the yeah. NCAA can step in in that regards, and I and I – you know, look, I think the Big 12 is going to have a fight for survival, much like the Southwest Conference had, but it just depends on the moves that they make and the growth that the, the conference has between now and then. I mean, I thought the move the move that they made, in my opinions, uh, Ryan, you, you, so you, I'm trying to think, they added, they added Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. They added uh, BYU, which I thought was a good move. Mm-hmm. They added... Houston, which I thought was really smart, and they added UCF. Look, Orlando is one of the biggest areas in the country, and it's UCF is one of the bigger public schools in the country. You know, is it? I think those were smart moves. I, you know, again, is this going to work? Is it going to save the conference? I don't know, but I feel like at least these are moves that are going to help your conference, in my opinion. Because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that league is necessarily weaker than the ACC. I mean, look, the Big 12 has as many teams with Cincinnati in it, has as many teams to make the college football playoff as Clemson has had, right? Is Wouldn't it be two? No. So Oklahoma is the only Big 12 team so far to make it. TCU should have made it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I just – I don't think – I don't think that those two teams leaving necessarily – kills the big 12 it's going to make it harder but part of the success is going to have to be you know oklahoma state baylor those teams have got to figure some things out and and start winning because winning is going to attract more money i mean that's just that's just a reality of it but it's going to be harder but i i think the moves they made ryan at least gave them the best chance and i don't think notre dame needs to be reactive to if notre dame's going to join a conference i believe notre dame needs to make that decision to be proactive not reactive. Don't sure. wait for things to happen. Say, hey, look, we're going to do this. And I've always said I would love for Notre Dame to start their own conference. Like, just get as many teams as you can Like th- that really makes sense and, and say, hey, we're going to go start the new Big East or something like that, right? We're going to get Penn State. We're going to get Virginia Tech. We're going to get BC and Pitt and Syracuse, whatever. Do something like that as opposed to waiting for all the dust to settle and being like, okay, 
Now let's see what works best. I always feel like Notre Dame should be a trendsetter, not a like a reactionary. Uh, that's just my mm-hmm. two cents on that, Ryan. I don't know what you yeah. think about that. I mean, it's it's a mess, the whole college football realignment mm-hmm. thing, to be honest. I mean, the, the funny thing is when you were talking about UCF, I was just thinking, yeah, they have a former national champion at UCF that's coming to the conference. That's pretty big time, right? Um, no, no joke there. No laugh. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're, not, you're not listening to me. Sorry. I was reading another question. <laughs> what did you say, Ryan? I'm sorry, man. I, I said it was big for the Big 12 to get a uh, former national champion at UCF to come to the conference. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know what? I mean, it's more national champions than a lot of those other teams have. It's true. But, you know, look, they added some schools from big cities, right? And that's a key. And they added a good football program in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's been a good football program for a while. This isn't like some flash-in-the-pan team, right? Mm -hmm. They've been a good program for a while. I don't know. You know, I don't – we'll see how it works. We'll see how it works. But um, trying to see here. West Virginia is in the Big 12, correct? Yes. Yep. Trying to see here because in the uh, oh West Virginia and TCU okay I was like they're listing all the teams in this release I'm like why didn't they talk about West Virginia okay they joined in 2011 okay sorry about that Ryan I was trying to get to as many questions as possible down here to see if there was any um, um, here's one Wayne Miller said this and and again now that this is happening this is something I'm actually for in the future once they get once they get to expanded playoff I'm I'm all for this I like the idea of playing FCS schools once every few years. To help former players and coaches, it can be the birth of a new tradition. I'm, I'm, I'm for that. If, if that game is meant to not just help you out, but then, hey, there's a purpose behind it, I'm, I'm going to be more sympathetic. Now that that sort of that, that cherry's been popped, so to speak, Ryan, mm-hmm. like, okay, it's going to happen again, but don't make it all the time, and it better mean something. And you better wait till after they've expanded the, the, the playoff before you do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I, I think that if it – I mean, if it's going to be a – consistent thing and not maybe again not every year but if it's going to happen from time to time if there's two beneficiaries to it i I agree yeah absolutely okay let's get down here bobby halfacre would an alliance with the big 10 be any better as far as a schedule ranking (sighs) yeah Mm, i like the way he asked the question i i think it probably would be yeah I think so. Because because Bobby was – I like that he said, would it be better for Notre Dame to be in the Big Ten? No, but he's very specific. Would it be better as far as a schedule ranking? I think if you're playing five Big Ten teams a year, you're probably going to be playing better teams as a whole than you would the – I mean, look, last year's a perfect example, Ryan. The Two of the three team, best teams in Notre Dame played last year were Big Ten teams, and they weren't even that good. But they were yeah. still two of the three best teams you played. Mm-hmm. You know, it says I'd be in the other. So, yeah, I would say for now, yes, that would be true. From a scheduling, yeah. I mean, just I, I just scheduling yeah. ranking, yeah. I, yeah, exactly, yeah. For, so, for that part of the question, Bobby, I agree. I, I think that the one thing that, like, I think if you were in the Big Ten full-time, though, I don't think that helps recruiting at all, right? Because, like, you already should do well in that area. I think kind of selling different areas of the country would be a big point of emphasis as far as the teams you're playing. So, I think that would actually hurt the recruiting dynamic a little bit, which I would not be in favor for. Yeah. Uh, if your only concern is playing a tougher schedule now, it helps. It makes sense. Sure. But that's, that's that it has to be way more than that. All right. Mad Dog says, delaying the time of the game doesn't aid Notre Dame. This is in reference to us saying like waiting till, you know, the, the, the thing expands. Delaying the game of the time of the game doesn't aid Notre Dame being a socially aware team by playing in HBCU. Three years down the road, the social impact wouldn't be the same. 
right, Mad Dog, we understand that. I just, I don't care. Like at the end of the day, I don't care about a football game being socially aware if it doesn't help you win a championship. And that's, that's the whole point, right? So I feel like your response is sort of this, you guys don't really understand what this game is about. Yes, we do. I just don't care. Right? I just I see the value, but I don't care enough about that to to trump the idea that you've potentially made your chances of playing for a championship harder. It yeah. just I understand it, right? But I just it doesn't. It's not the most important thing to me. Playing for championships is the most important thing for me. And as long as this doesn't get in your way, I'll be fine with it. Because again, we do understand why it's being done. Mm-hmm. But it just and, and I don't even dislike why it's being done. It's I dislike what it means in regards to how it improves their championship. So please don't assume that because we don't agree with it or we have a difference of opinion that we don't know why it's being done. We do. Uh, and he also asked, with the addition of the Harvard DT, what does the scholarship count at for 2022? Notre Dame's still under 85. So mm-hmm. if they need to add another grad transfer. Uh, Kenneth James says, judging by the grad transfer DT, the injury to Aiden Kanaana must have been more impactful than first thought. No. He was pretty much going to be out for much of the year. A, a knee injury for a big guy is usually a eight to nine month thing, Ryan. Yeah. He got hurt in March. Eight months takes him into November. Mm-hmm. It's a little different for a skill player, right? And it was a torn ACL. And that's a minimum, minimum six months for a skill player. And I, and I think it might even be longer than that, depending on the severity of it. But eight to nine months is really the the sweet spot, I believe, still for that. Correct, Ryan? For a, yeah. an actual tear, not a partial tear, but an actual torn ACL. Tear. Yeah. Uh, and for a three hundred pounder, it's gonna it's always gonna be on the back end more often than not. If it's a if it's a full a full tear. Right. You don't you don't wanna, you don't want to rush bigger no. guys back from those injuries. Like you need you need to be cautious and you need to ha- let time kind of heal those types of situations. Because, like you said, I mean the tension of just weight more weight on that type of injury is a substantial thing. And it's a real thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would, I would not want to rush Aiden back. Cause I mean, the worst possibility is that you bring him back too quick and then he retears it or he has another injury because he is overcompensating for the, for the tear that he had. Like you just ease him back slowly. Don't rush that one. Yep. agree. And that's why this makes a lot of sense. Uh, real quick, the world-famous Scotty Nitro says, update on the baby IB family, uh, on the baby IB family. Uh, mama and baby still growing. Indy and IB family prayers are working. Uh, just a reminder, or if those weren't here, uh, Scotty and his wife are having, I believe this is their first. Didn't he say this is their first child? And uh, she's just not growing the way that they want her to, and there's some concerns about that, but uh, still growing. So that's a great thing, buddy, and we will continue to keep you and your family in our prayers, no question. John A1, here's a good question. John always comes correct with the questions. How good can the 2022 interior offensive line be? Which player not named Patterson needs to step up to, to uh, the most to dominate top 25 defensive lines? Let's go reverse uh, order on this one because I think the second yeah. question impacts the first one, Ryan. Sure. So let's ask, let's answer the second question first, and then that'll lead us to the second. So why don't you go ahead and, and, uh, and take a shot at that one? Well, I, I, I mean, I think both need to step up, though, both guard positions, because I think that we have – I don't think we've seen the best of Andrew Christophic yet. Like, I just don't think mm-hmm. we have. I think that there's a lot more there. And then we need to see Joshua Josh Lug get back to a – like the player that maybe they thought he could be. Even 
I mean, he might never be the athlete that he was pre-injury, but we need him to be just a consistent player. But I guess to the question of who needs to step up the most, I guess I would go with Andrew Kristoffic because I think that Josh Lug is going to be at least a solid player inside, or he's going to get, or he might get passed up in that conversation. But I, I still am a big believer that I think Andrew Kristoffic's ceiling is still pretty high. I think he could be a very good interior player. So I guess for them to take that next step, I guess I would go with Andrew Kristoffic just because I think that his upside is hot, maybe high, one of the highest on the interior. I think it's Josh Lug because I think I think if Andrew Kristoffic makes just normal year one starter to year two progress starter, he's going to be a good player. I think Josh Lug to me needs to make the biggest jump. I think because Josh has been so inconsistent and he is changing a big position. I also think that Josh Lug is still, if he's the player, I think he can still be to me needs to really be that guy. Cause the point is I'm, I'm, I think Andrew's going to be fine. Right. I'm more concerned about right guard. So I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I'm taking a different angle on it. I think center's going to be fine. I think left guard's going to be fine. My concern is, is Josh going to be healthy at right guard? It's the biggest thing. And is he going to play to his potential? If he does, along with what you if, – if Andrew Christophic is the player you think he's going to be and, and Jarrett Patterson's the player you think he needs to be, then for this to be a dominant interior offensive line, they need Josh Lug to raise his game. That's why I'm answering it the way that I'm answering because I don't disagree with you, but that's even more reason why Josh Lug has to really step up. Because if 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 that happens, I think this interior is going to be really really good. How good right. it could it be? I think it'd be one of the ten best interior lines in the country. That's what I think. Will it be as good as the tackles? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's because I think the tackles can be one of the three or four best tackle tandems in the country this year. And I me mean, forget when they're juniors and seniors. I'm talking about 2022, especially with the intel that we put out last night, which was uh, really kind of exciting. So. Um, that's kind of for me, Ryan, why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confident that this line is going to be good, but if the, if the guards step up then and play well, this line is going to be really good because that's the thing I think is missed about the 2017 line. Mm-hmm. Yes, they had a great left side, but they were just a great period up the middle. I mean, Alex Bars was really good in 2017. Sam Mustafer was good in 2017. Just and as a trio, they were really good in 2017. Sam was that was I think 17 was still Sam's best year. I don't think he was as good in 2018 as he was in 2017. Just individually, wasn't as good. But even then, as a tandem boy, they were they were dominant. And when you can dominate right up the middle, you're a hard offense to stop. I mean, a really hard offense to stop. All right, I think we got one more question we're going to get to here, and then uh, and then uh, we're going to get out of here because Ryan, I know you got to you got to get going. Zachary Lane says, "Which home game is Irish Breakdown doing a pregame get together this year?" So, Zachary, I think we're we're planning on doing something for every game for the most. That's the plan right now. We won't necessarily do a full like um, you know, spread and all that for every game, but we're at least going to kind of do a get together for every game. That's what people have asked for. Like, Hey, we don't care if you have to have food at every time. We just want to get together and not just meet us, but more so people just want to meet each other and have a place where they can all go to meet and talk. And so I was like, I think that makes a lot of sense. So we won't necessarily have a big tailgate for each one, but we will, we will do something as a get together before every home game next year. So, uh, that will, uh, that will definitely be the case. So, I uh, Ryan, do you see any other questions here uh, about um, 
about uh, that we want to get to here before we uh, before we get rolling. I don't see anything. There's talking about pancakes and uh, some LSU losers that have jumped into the into the uh, the uh, conversation here, and um, you know, always fun I, for those times. I love the food talk. I, we never did answer if cereal was a soup. It's not a soup. I think soup has to. If you cook it, maybe I can call it a soup. But no, it's not a soup. I think I saw someone say is pancake bread at some point. I think someone asked that. I thought I saw that. I mean, it's made from the same thing that bread is made from, you know? So, I mean, I would probably lean towards yes. Do you have an answer for that, Ryan? Or are you just going <laughs> to sit that one out? I've never thought about that one. I need, I need some. It's funny. Some that. things that people are talking about. Cause like, I've never really thought about that. And I, and I said a BLT was a sandwich. I, the, the B stands for bacon, so that obviously has a meat in it, so that made no sense. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I mean, okay, if you take two pieces of, of, if you take two, I mean, I mean, is a McGriddle is that a sandwich? Yes. Yeah. Okay, it's basically pancake, right? So I guess I guess I, I think I think we need a new podcast on the channel that should just be Brian's food takes. I think is you know it's funny because I watch a lot of. Um, a watch of the cooking shows on, on YouTube, you know, to get like recipe ideas. Like my wife's like, I want to try this. So I'll just, cause like I, I can read instructions, but I'd rather see someone like, okay, what's your technique for doing this or that, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watch a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I said to my, I was like, you should start a, cause my wife, Ryan, she doesn't like to cook and she doesn't like to bake, but she's a phenomenal baker. Like I've been begging her cause our anniversary is this week. I said, look, it doesn't have to be on our anniversary. Cause I know you got to work and you got a lot going on. But sometime this week of anniversary week, I would love for you to make like when we first married, she would make. Uh, so our wedding cake was like it was like normal cake, and then it was like uh, I forget what one like uh, amaretto was one of the flavors, and then another one was uh, cherry chip. And so what she would make is she for our, our, our first few anniversaries, she made cherry chip cupcakes with amaretto frosting and roasted almonds on them. Sounds good, dude. They were phenomenal. <laughs> And then she would make German chocolate cupcakes for my birthday because I love German chocolate cake. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And I was like, you should start a channel where you bake stuff. Cause she'll just like, she's like a, she MacGyver stuff, man. She's like always Jimmy rigging stuff around the house. And she'll just like do take recipes and like, then just like mess with it and do her own thing. And it's always better than the original one. So I've told her she needs to start a, she needs to start a cooking channel. I, I love the combination uh, desserts, by the way. Like that's one of my, my favorite cake that I've ever had was a, it was a carrot cake cheesecake. Okay. It was incredible. I don't know if you like carrot cake, but I love carrot cake. I, I have a hard time eating carrot cake now because my freshman year at college, the cafeteria was so bad that all I ate every day for lunch and dinner was carrot cake and bologna sandwiches. Like it was so bad. Like you'd put your hand, I'm like, oh, hey, look, they're serving big ziti. So then you put the thing into the, the pan and then you lift it up and the whole pan comes up. Like that's the kind of food that we would eat. You know what I mean? Because like it's just one big blob. So gross. So bad. Um, I didn't want to go back my second semester, but I did before I transferred. But it was so bad, man. I just bologna sandwich and carrot cake. So I ate so much carrot cake that year that I'm like the point I was like, I'm just like, I'm good. I love carrot cake. <laughs> I'm good on carrot cake. Hey, Mission Barbecue's sweet of the month of her sweet, uh, you know, seasonal sweet right now is carrot cake. So we have some upstairs. Uh, Charlie Moore with Super Chat. Charlie, thank you very, very much. And then we had somebody that said, Something about why are LSU fans so bored today? (laughs) It's a great question. Thank you for that super chat too, Carly, Charlie. Uh, But yeah, I, um, I'm definitely going to try to convince her to, 
to make that. She's got all the ingredients for the cherry chip, but it's like, Ryan, you'll understand, man. Like she like cherry chip cupcake, amaretto frosting, and then she actually will cut the almonds and roast them and then put them on top. Sounds good. Sounds good. So good. I need to, I need to get back on her about trying to start the, uh, <laughs> trying to get back to that cooking channel. That'd be more fun. Be more reward for me than her current. Well, actually her current job built the message board. So I should probably shut up about that, about it being more beneficial to me. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, any other questions here? I don't see somebody. Tommy said something about a doc holiday and Johnny Ringo question. I didn't see that. And I'm, I'm probably glad that I didn't see that. I don't know. I don't know where that one was going to go. But anyway, everybody, have a great, great day today. We have definitely gone off the rail, but that's what mailbags are all about, guys. If you want to talk about something a little different, we'll talk about something a little different. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, the, the chat was was very interesting today. So hope everybody enjoyed themselves. Come to the message board. We can continue talking about this. We'll, we'll con- we can continue talking about, you know, uh, whether or not cereal is, is <laughs> it's a soup or not. If you want to on the message board, I don't know why you would really care enough. But as May say, case says, join the message board, everybody. Smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, share the podcast, and as always, go Irish. So, everybody, thank you so much for being with us today. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. Uh, we won't have Vince back until Friday. He is coming back from a little family vacation, so he'll be back uh, at it on Friday. So that's you'll kind of have a the whole crew back together regarding potential film room tonight. That's up in the air. It just depends on like, this is the way that we kind of do it. It's not just anniversary day. It's kind of anniversary week. So, you know, my wife might have some things planned for tonight. I have to find that out. Uh, she's been working all day today, so I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet. Uh, we'll know, but Hey, that's why you need to be subscribed and hit the notification bell, Ryan, because then, then you'll know, right? So you'll know, you'll see the notification going out that we are or are not doing a film room tonight. Uh, one thing I can say is when we do the film room, we're going to be talking about Notre Dame offensive line prospects. So out of that, I can tell you. So if you like the big boys, that's what our next show is going to be, whenever that is going to be. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast, and we will talk to you very, very soon.